Pigs Not Hot Pigs. This is Everyone is Wrong, a counterintuitive pop culture podcast. I'm your host, Seth Sommerfeld. Thanks for listening. So I feel like maybe I failed to set this up on the first episode, but from time to time, I would like to bring things that I personally think everyone is wrong about to the table. And when I do so, I'll try and bring somebody in to be my sounding board so I'm not just monologuing at y'all. So with that said... This week, I'm punching a hole in my crappy apartment wall to let out all the anger I've been storing up for years thanks to my less-than-idyllic relationship with Noah Baumbach's Oscar-winning 2019 film, Marriage Story. Everyone is wrong, but I am not. My couples therapist for today is returning champion Nathan Weinbender. Thanks for coming on, Nathan. Uh, thank you for having me back. I hope uh, I'm the I'm I think I'm the first return guest. Is that correct? No, you're you're the first. Well, you're the first person to do the bouncing off the ideas from mine. Actually, okay, Jason okay. Baxter did two episodes. He did the first Star Wars one, and then he did the Neon Demon. So, oh, uh, I see. Because okay. Jason well, it's is still an honor, yes. regardless. Jason is just the person who has thrown me uh, like fifty thousand pitches because he likes a bunch <laughs> of controversial things so he's always the fallback mm-hmm. uh good that that sounds bad jason if you're listening you're not you're not a fallback you just <laughs> have a bunch of ideas so i feel confident in going to you yes exactly yeah, that's yeah, a yeah. better way to put it but uh how are you doing yeah. on this day nathan i'm doing just fine thanks seth how are you i am surviving another monday monday recording yeah. this time mm. So we'll just hop right in and let's get into the background of Marriage Story. Marriage Story is a 2019 film written and directed by Noah Baumbach about a couple getting divorced. It stars Adam Driver as Charlie Barber, a critically acclaimed avant-garde theater director in New York City, and Scarlett Johansson as Nicole Barber, his lead actress in a bunch of the shows, and wife. The couple are beginning a divorce with Nicole and their child Henry moving to Los Angeles so she can shoot a TV pilot. While the couple had initially planned to split with little drama, soon lawyers get involved, played by the likes of Laura Dern, Alan Alda, and Ray Liotta, and it becomes an ugly custody battle over where their son will live. That's essentially the core of the movie. Drama and comedy ensue from that. The film was one of the most awarded films of 2019. It was nominated for six Academy Awards, Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, Best Actress, Best Original Screenplay, Best Score by Randy Newman, and Best Supporting Actress. It only won one of those awards, Laura Dern, for Best Supporting Actress, a category which she dominated that year, picking up dozens of awards. It was named a Top 10 Film of the year by both the American Film Institute and the National Board of Review. Before we jump into critics, we'll just talk a little bit about our own personal experiences. Nathan, when kind of did you see this movie and what were your kind of initial thoughts and feelings toward it? I first saw it when it came out and I was lucky enough to see it during its very brief theatrical run. It was one of those movies that uh, Netflix decided to put on big screens so they could, you know, be eligible for the Oscars, which right. paid off for them in in at least one case here. And so I got to see it at the local art house here with a, a really small audience. But it was one of those movies that, as it was unfolding, and I'm sure we'll talk about this, I wasn't totally sure about what kind of tone 
Bombach was trying to strike. And so for a good half hour, I, I felt kind of pushed and pulled back and forth between these two kind of warring tones. And then by the time it had gotten into, you know, the procedure of the divorce and, you know, the legal minutia and basically how, uh, and what I think the movie is, is kind of about is how this entire system is just designed to make, uh, make people turn into the worst versions of themselves in order to win this, this battle, essentially. I got really caught up in it. And, and then it got to the, the now famous confrontation scene between Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson. And I was just completely blown away by that, that scene because it didn't feel phony to me. It didn't feel artificial to me. Now, of course, in, in, the interim it has been memed you know that was yeah the, we will the definitely dive into that memes. yes um and so i hadn't experienced that yet and then and so i loved it i walked out of the movie i saw it with my wife actually and we walked out and i think we uh, afterward and we had some drinks and we talked about it and then over the next couple weeks the movie hit netflix and i started seeing all of the takes online about it that I, I thought were just completely bizarre. I, I wish I had more of them at my fingertips, but it definitely seemed like this movie did not benefit from most people seeing it on a streaming service and probably watching it you know, in the background while they did other stuff. I saw it on the big screen where my attention was captivated by it the entire time. I did see it again after the fact on streaming and, and liked it again, but I had the benefit of having seen it once before in a theatrical setting. So maybe that colored my my feelings toward it but it definitely seemed like a movie that that got a lot of of accolades as you said a lot of buzz out of festivals the critical reviews were glowing and then it seemed like once it hit streaming the social media takes were kind of all over the map and in a lot of ways i thought i, I didn't agree with them or i thought they were kind of coming from odd places so yeah that was kind of my roundabout way of saying i i really like this movie but i know that that there are people, uh, including you, that that do not agree with me. And it was broadcast all over Twitter in uh, late 2019, if I remember right. It's interesting because I watched it first on Netflix and didn't see it in theaters. But I also feel like it's kind of one of those situations, what you're talking about, where maybe Twitter world isn't exactly the real world. Because, yeah. so for example, critics and audiences both like this movie according to kind of the some of the sources you can go on Rotten Tomatoes. It's 95% among critics, 96% among top critics, and still has an audience score of 85%. So, you know, there's maybe the dissidents on Twitter and kind of the memification of the movie, but it still has a very high audience score. Might be mocked among certain circles, but it's generally held up as a good movie. It's not divisive, basically, amongst, you know, the, the the majority of people that have seen it, it sounds like. Right, right. So I'll dive into a little bit of the critical response. AV Club's A.A. A. Dowd wrote, Marriage story can be as funny in its sharp observations about behavior as any of Bombach's withering comedies like Francis Ha or The Merowitz Stories but it's also a drama of startling insight and complexity. So confidently made and so expertly shot on 35 millimeter that it evokes the art house renaissance of the 1970s, a time when American directors were hustling to compete with imported versions of Bergman, Fellini, etc. It's weird that 
he categorized Francis Ha as a withering comedy, but we can get to that <laughs> later. Yeah. Barry Hertz of the Globe and Mail wrote, I'll now offer my preemptive condolences to any couples who decide to watch Marriage Story together. Neither of you may survive the film. Its eagerness to peel back the ugliest of our emotional impulses will inevitably hurl questions at every intimate interaction you've ever had. This is a film like the very worst cases of divorce that will break people. But unlike some rock bottom uncouplings, Marriage Story is not cruel. It is only honest, which can be the freshest hell of all. Moore McDonald of the Seattle Times penned, It is a movie full of moments and details that resonate. An exquisitely awkward Halloween night sequence as Charlie desperately tries to show Henry some fun on a lonely second round of trick-or-treating, the quiet, relentless beige apartment Charlie rents in Los Angeles in hopes of getting custody, the warmth of Nicole's extended family representing another loss for Charlie, the hurt hangs in the air between these two like a fog that won't lift, Johansson and Driver are remarkably heartbreakingly good in every scene, showing their character's journey to an unflinching camera, letting the gap between them get wider, yet unable for their son's sake to completely walk away. John Frosch of The Hollywood Reporter wrote, The framing, staging, and control over the flow of the action are confident, at times dazzling, though free of gratuitous flash or fuss, objects gestures and movements a gate pulled shut a shoelace being tied an unexpected burst into song are imbued but never weighed down with meaning this is a work of a filmmaker in full command of his powers and for fun nathan weinbender of the inlander wrote bombax films can sometimes strain too hard for effort and he often asks us to empathize with characters we hardly like spending time with but here he exhibits a lightness of touch both in the ever-shifting tone of the material and in the perceptive ways he checks the privilege of his characters. Like the work of James L. Brooks, particularly his 1983 film Terms of Endearment, Marriage Story captures the absurdity of life, how a pratfall can swing right into a moment of tragedy, and observes how the people who love you the most are capable of hurting you most deeply. And just for a counter, this one is the one that really blew, kind of blew me away in terms of the positive reviews. Two reviewers hit on the same comparison that just frazzled me. Okay. In a doozy, Brian Truitt of USA Today decided to make this comparison. Like Saving Private Ryan of divorce comedies, Marriage Story puts its audience in the thick of all the complicated feelings, bitter domestic rumbles, and lawyer fees that come with such a disillusion, with enough hopeful and hilarious moments to balance out the emotional devastation. And then TV Guide's Jordan Hoffman also wrote, in a way that Saving Private Ryan showed us, as best as it could, what battle is really like, this takes us through the indignity and anguish of what two caring, mature, likable people go through when splitting up and figuring out child custody. 
So Weird. apparently this is a Saving Private Ryan movie, according to the journalistic pillars of USA Today and TV Guide. Maybe like Saving Private Ryan had been on cable uh, <laughs> like the, the night before and both of those writers caught it. I was going to compare it to now that I'm thinking about it, like less up like something like Saving Private Ryan, which you're I agree is an absurd comparison as like it, it's closer to something like Kafka where the Adam Driver character gets stuck in this this nightmare of, of bureaucracy and you know red tape and all of these provisos and 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 uh asterisks that he keeps encountering yeah like every time he takes a step where he he gets a new lawyer he finds a new law firm he has to take two steps back because he realizes x y and z has to line up and it's just a totally unfair system but I don't think that Saving Private Ryan, I don't think they do any paperwork in that movie. No, I think, yeah, I think the Saving Private Ryan comp is supposed to be that it's just like, I feel like this movie would have to be like 12 times more intense and brutal. There's like one yeah. scene of yelling in this movie, essentially. Yeah. And it's just like, this isn't what a horrible divorce is. No, and I, 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 I also kind of want to push back against the critics who are talking about how devastating it is. Because I think the thing that I like about this movie is that it doesn't go quite that far because there is, I mean, they're both miserable at different points in the movies. I mean, Adam Driver is miserable through most of it, but I do think there are moments of, you know, kind of almost farcical comedy. There's a sense of hope throughout it. And if anything, like they seem to have more respect for each other than, other movies about divorce that I can think of, even something like Mrs. Doubtfire, I feel like is the those two characters dislike each other more than Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson do in this movie. So yeah. that's what I like about it is that it doesn't go completely over the line of like this is just a miserable experience being with these two people. Right. There are moments of joy and and optimism throughout it. So yeah, this, a lot of those takes, even though I agree with the the general, you know, positivity. Feel of it, right. I think. Yeah, o overstate the sadness of the movie a little yeah, much, I think. I, I guess, I mean, to that point, the screaming scene, Adam Driver, like, tells Scarlett Johansson's character that he wishes she was dead, and then they, like, hug. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. it's not like... Yeah, yeah, and, and, and in that moment, I mean, to me, that moment is indicative of not just their relationship before all of this, because we only know them... You know, we see them at the beginning in these montages where it's the two of them explaining what they love the most about the other pe other person. But then the rug kind of gets yanked out from us and we realize that this is just an exercise that like their divorce counselor or their marriage counselor is making them do. Right. Um, so we only know them post breakup. But in that moment where she has empathy for him after he says something unforgivable to her, I think it's because she understands why he would say something like that. And she understands that this entire process is so bloodthirsty and cutthroat that she has had to, because she wants to win this custody battle, she has to basically do these horrible things to him. And she kind of understands it in a way and knows that he doesn't mean it, but she kind of, but, but he kind of does. I don't know. I think there's a lot of nuance in that moment that a lot of like entire movies have tried to capture. And I think he gets it in that one moment, but maybe you don't agree with me there. I think we'll get to that. We can okay. fine slice it a little bit more when we get to those points. But before we get to that, there was not a lot of critical dissent, but a lot of the dissent 
kind of came in the form of the contextualization of the movie, whether it be, do we really need another story about divorce between like privileged white people who don't really have anything that bad and it's not really that devastating to them or thin slicing and being like, actually, this is slightly misogynistic in the way that Driver's character is compared to Scarlett's character, things like that. Kyle Smith of the National Review wrote, I don't find catharsis here. All I see is a kind of cinematic therapy session. Baumbach, a director who is in a long-term relationship with one actress, Greta Gerwig, and divorced from another, Jennifer Jason Lee, who did indeed divorce him in L.A. and with whom he does have a son, may be exercising some demons here. Lee was once known for taking her top off in a teen movie, which is something that uh, Scarlett's character also does. Fan Sided's Kristen Lopez wrote, There is nothing inherently wrong with Marriage Story. The characters here are well-written and the performances are solid, but it's impossible not to see it through the lens of divorce itself. What should feel authentic can often feel hokey, sanitized, and a fairy tale of what divorce could look like if people just got out of their own way. In fact, it's often hard to get over Marriage Story's hokey qualities because of how bougie the whole thing feels. Marriage Story is a tough nut to crack. It feels too clean, too perfect, too cold cloning of a divorce, but one that never gets at the heart of anything. So not a lot of criticisms, but those are some of them. So Mm -hmm. I guess I will launch into my own five reasons why I am not on board with it being as highly regarded as it is. The first of which is that Scarlett Johansson's emotional swings don't totally work for me in this movie. In this performance, when Scarlett Johansson is kind of measured, like in between when she's just like not in the super angry or super happy or super sad I feel like her performance works well and, you know, she was up for best actress for this role for the Oscar, but all the other, the moments when she is super angry, when she is yelling, when she is crying, when she is like gleefully happy around in the theater sense, it always feels just high school play overacting to me. Mm. I, it's, it's a weird thing. It just, I don't ever connect with her emotions as authentic when they're the big emotions, when she's kind of working through stuff slowly, it clicks. But when she's reaching for it, it really just feels like she's reaching for it in this movie in a way that even like Jojo rabbit was the same year and is a sillier movie, but I feel her character is actually more grounded in that than in this one and even when she's doing emotional peaks in marvel movies i buy them more than i buy them in this movie but i know that's not i would not i would not go that far yeah no i i think that with i mean i think that's just this might be a personal thing and it might be tough to kind of debate but i i found her performance in this really compelling and I mean, like you said, for so long, she has kind of been doing these, these action blockbusters where, 
you know, they give her one moment of emotional catharsis right. where she's, you know, she's upset about something like, oh, I can't have kids or, or, oh, the, the mission's going to be over soon or whatever. Or I need um, to like sacrifice and, myself or whatever. All that yeah. Kind of yeah. Yeah. Spoilers, I guess. But, um, at this point, uh, I don't know what to tell you. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't really buy those, but that's also because I don't really buy the emotions of, of those kinds of movies as, right. as much as I find them enter, entertaining popcorn films. Uh, I found her completely convincing in this movie. And I also think that a lot of the the sort of too muchness that these people have in their real lives comes from the fact that they are theater people and theater people are by nature just intense that and is kind a of fair, overplay things. That is a fair question. And I also... And I also think that when you're constantly surrounded by that sort of, you know, the emotional peaks and valleys that this movie shows, if you're around that in real life, it is going to kind of, you know, seep into your own behavior. I would also say that for about 90% of the movie, she is kind of quiet and right. and, and considerate. The, the moments you're talking about, I think, are are rare. Um, I mean, if they don't work, if they don't work for you, they don't work for yeah, you. Yeah, that's, that's why I differentiate. I don't think Scarlett Johansson is like bad in this movie because most of the time mm -hmm. i think she's really good in the more composed moments it's that's yeah. the thin slicing of this point is just just like right. the emotional and i mean some of it is i don't i also don't love this script and some of it is in that like when they have a fight when adam driver's character is giving her notes about the show that they do and like one of them yeah. is that you still can't cry on stage and then it like immediately cuts to her in bed crying i'm just like a little i it's just a little much for me that kind of thing okay. it's just like heavy-handed drama and then it makes the crying that she does feel a little less authentic to me things like that but again it, it's very much a taste thing this this point is i'm in the minority but that's part of what the uh, whole show is about <laughs> Yeah, right. Well, do you, do you have similar problems with the Adam Driver performance or do you think he because he has arguably more explosive moments and bigger dramatic moments uh, than she does even, uh, especially in that that fight scene where he's the one that that, you know, really explodes. Uh, do you have the same problem with his performance or do you think he carries it off better than than his co-star? I do think he carries it off better, but it's also partially because he's kind of just asked to do those couple moments of like rage and mm -hmm. he's not he's not asked to be like there's never a moment where he's like gleeful in a silly way like the just, again it's partially the theater person thing you you mentioned but it's just like even the when they're doing like theater warm-ups at the beginning and scarlet's just like dancing around and like so joyful it's just like it's a little it's it's theater people stuff but it just seems a little hammy to me and there's never a moment where sure like adam drivers it's part again it's part of the script it's just like he's put in a, mo a spot where it's where he does have like the outburst where he punches the wall and he has some other ones where it's more he's like simmering and like angry and can't but it's not as big and showy as the things that the script asks Scarlett to do. That's fair. Well, and they also, they each get scenes in this movie where they have to sing a Stephen Sondheim song. 
And Scarlett Johansson's moment comes in a moment of, of joy where she's with her sister and her mother uh, and they're they're performing at a party and you get the sense that, oh, she's been doing this her entire life where her, her you know, her rich performer artist parents will have all their, you know, elitist friends over and the family sings a song. And then later at the very end, Adam Driver sings Being Alive from the musical company. And it's also this performative moment, but we see him going through things in that song in a much more subtle way, I think. And, and he gets that moment alone where she's performing with other people. So maybe that also has something to do with it. And, and again, there were arguments at the time it came out about which character the movie was more loaded in favor toward. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, uh, and, and I don't know if you want to, if we can get into that now, or if you want to save it. We'll, uh, I think we'll touch on that as we go along. Okay. Okay. So then I'll, I won't, then I won't go further. Yeah. So I'll hop into the second point, which is, this is a dramedy and it works for a lot of people, but I just, it never hits the comedic dramatic tone balance. Right. For me, I think that it feels like at times there are things where I feel like Noah's just cribbing things from other people who do the things better. So, for example, just on that point, the listing at the very start feels is a thing that really works where they're listing off the things they like about each other for the therapy session. It feels mm-hmm. kind of cute in that sort of like Wes Anderson, like twee cuteness way, but in a, yeah. in a more grounded way. I think I think it's very good. It sets up like I'm on board with that scene where they're kind of doing uh, a yeah. quick like character establishment giving yeah. you like reasons to like both these characters. It's a great it's a great clever way of introducing two people in in an unorthodox fashion and it it kind of introduces you to sort of the world that they inhabit as well. Right. So I, so there's things like that that I that totally work for me, but then there's also like the on the counter end there's like the Greek chorus things almost it's the theater people kind of talking amongst themselves or the Wallace or the yeah, them, yeah or the screen test where Scarlett Johansson is just sitting there and people are talking very out loud about her like personal life while she's just like sitting mm-hmm. there that seem sort of like cartoonish Aaron Sorkin banter bits to me <laughs> those moments seem kind of detached from anything else they seem like they're from a different movie and either mm-hmm. again either that works as like a shift in tone for you or it just a little gives you the bends and for me it kind of gives me the bends but i think the bigger thing is as the movie gets going the shifts between like the serious family drama between the two characters and the satire about lawyers just drags me back and forth in a way that i don't like i feel like a lot of this it seems like bombax really wants to just make a satirical movie about how absurd lawyers are. And then it kind of derails it. You know, again, it's, it's, it depends on your point. Like if you are taking this as lawyers bring out the worst in every person, then like maybe that clicks more for you. But for me, it's the lawyer scenes are so kind of over the top in comparison to the, 
non-lawyer scenes that I mm-hmm. it just attaches me from like an emotional connection in the movie. So like the lawyers, like Ray Liotta's the big manly lawyer and he for, keeps forgetting mm-hmm. like the characters names and yeah. things like that. <laughs> and Alan Alda's like an old, like over the hill lawyer who right. is nice, but kind of bumbling and doesn't really like stand up for his client that much. And we'll just be like telling jokes and things like that. That kind of just ramble. And it seems like he's just like over the hill and not, not the guy you want in, the shark pit of lawyers that this film right, right. sets up. He, he rolls over too easily. And then Laura Dern is kind of this idealized, like LA feminist, like we're just going to like get in there and brawl lawyer. Who's also like a therapist and a friend for you. <laughs> and it, it's just all, all this lawyer stuff is done with in like a pattery slapsticky <laughs> without being physical yeah. it's like that kind of tone you know there's a scene where they're ordering lunches and it's like oh yeah we're all it's everybody's on the same page it, it it's i think it's meant <laughs> to show that like oh all these lawyers are kind of like one team and they're destroying this these two people who are well and it it's also just like i i see i love that moment and it kind of goes hand in hand with the barbed satire toward la in general where right. everyone keeps talking about like the space and the sprawl of la and, and how, oh how great the space is and then the the scene where they're all ordering lunch i love that because it's so like the the two like the futures of these two people and their kid are on the line and they stop and they're like it's not only that they stop to order lunch but uh they're like oh what kind of uh what kind of food does that restaurant have oh they have these great little flatbreads oh it's so much fun and I don't know. I think that that it is it is funny, but it's also uh, very dark in a way because you think like, yeah, these people just this is their daily routine. It's like it's so routine to them that they could just stop and order lunch in the middle of of arguing over the fates of these two people. And I want to say that there there is a, a scene of comedy in this movie that initially rubbed me the wrong way. And it's none of the ones that you brought up. Mm-hmm. And it's at the very beginning where where she presents him with the divorce papers Mm-hmm. And they're they're at Scarlett Johansson's parents' house. Her mom is played by the great Julie Haggerty, who I think is maybe she's still like she's in an Albert Brooks comedy or something because she's a little little over the top here. Right. As much as I love her, that scene is. I mean, I think that and and this happens throughout the film is the movie is kind of it's going back to that theater person thing I was talking about. The movie occasionally almost becomes like one of the plays that that these characters are are putting on. And that scene in particular is like a noises off style farce where like people are going in one door and out the other. And it's like very, very fast paced. And to me, so early in the movie, it felt artificial. It felt overwritten and over rehearsed. It didn't feel like real life. And then she hands him the divorce papers and the movie comes back. It snaps back into focus and back into reality for me. So the first time I saw it, that scene was really off putting. And I thought, are they really going to be going for this kind of broad Francis Ha style comedy that has worked for Bombach in the past? And Mistress America was another movie he made that had this kind of pitter patter kind of screwball banter to it. Right. And I thought this isn't going to work, but it's really the only scene like that in the movie. And so that is a moment where I do think the tone kind of gets away from him a little bit, mm-hmm. but he, I, I think he reigns it back in. And I think in particular, 
I was kind of upset at award season that Alan Alda wasn't getting more love for his performance. I think he's fantastic in this movie and, and strikes just the right note of like you called him bumbling, but he's not like Peter Sellers falling down or anything like that. You know, he's believably fumbling in right. that way that, you know, he would be in real life. Right. Like he forgets his, he gets his glasses confused with his secretary's glasses and they're both just like, Oh yeah. Like I was wondering why my glasses weren't looking right. Yeah. You know, there's a little moment, there's a little moment too, where he's, he's giving, he's always looking for like free food. Like he's always grabbing like the free pastries and like the, the meeting rooms. And there's a, a beautiful little moment that that's always stuck with me where he's telling Alan Alda is telling Adam Driver this anecdote. He's filled with anecdotes and, and jokes, like so many, you know, 80-year-old dudes are. And as he's telling it, he walks up and he put he tries to get coffee out of one of the coffee crafts and it's empty. Yep. And then he goes to the next one and it's empty too. And he just goes in. And he just keeps telling the story. And I just remember watching that being like, that's so in keeping with this guy's character, is like he's just going for the free coffee, but there isn't any anyway. And there was something really quietly funny about that to, to me at least yeah i i'm not saying that there aren't funny moments in the, the movie you know like the point you brought up about how there's like lots of space out here is brought up multiple times yeah. and adam driver's yeah. character just gets frustrated with it and it's very <laughs> it's very funny because if you've ever you know been somewhere out you know uh, somebody talking up their city there's always something that they like is a point that, that everybody brings every, up yes. and you're like yep. i don't care about that at all yeah we get it you get all four seasons here we know like that's one that always comes up about like certain parts of of the pacific northwest all four seasons yeah there's moments like when adam driver is singing being alive where i'm just not sure what to feel like on the comedic to dramatic spectrum because it's kind of one of the final moments of the movie and feels like it's supposed to be this drive home dramatic kind of like, Oh, he's understanding something and he's getting his sense off. But it's also kind of absurdist because he's just like doing karaoke when a piano is playing all of a sudden and everybody's like yeah, suddenly it, like that's not that's not absurd though because these people they go to that piano bar and they probably sing and annoy every customer in the restaurant like every saturday night it's probably he's probably performed that song multiple times you you you, you keep discounting the fact that theater people can be very obnoxious I, in public. i'm i'm fr- i'm from a family of theater people so i i okay. understand i understand like uh, so these these are more obnoxious than usual theater people yeah i mean i've done you know I've, and i've done like plenty of improv stuff with a bunch of theater people and stuff sure. like that there's degrees to which like things can be theater people world or you know improv world and like seem absurd like the Mike Birbiglia movie, Don't Think Twice, which is mm-hmm. like an improv movie. And I've heard criticisms of that movie where it's like, these characters don't seem, they seem like too quirky or weird. And I'm like, no, that's kind of like how improv people are. Right. <laughs> but I feel like this is maybe just, maybe it's just the New York theater people that I'm just like not on board with and not connecting with. Yeah. And I, I don't think that you're wrong, though, in the, the observation that he is sort of 
I don't want to say straining because I don't see it as straining, but he's definitely amplifying. He's turning up the volume on some of these things right. so that they come across as more comic and, and maybe more broad. And and again, if that if that like particular lawyer flavor things. doesn't work for you. None of the, none of the lawyers sure. are grounded characters except for no, maybe Alda. No. Well, and here's here's another another weird comic moment that happens. I mean, you mentioned in the the review portion at the beginning the the trick or treating scene, which I think is kind of funny in sort of a hangdog kind of way. Right. But there's the moment where the the sort of family mediator is over and observing Adam Driver and his son in his, you know, his very sad bachelor's apartment in LA. Right. And he accidentally cuts his hand and has to go to the emergency room. He slits his wrist, actually. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. With a... With a, isn't with it a, like po- a pocket knife. It was like... he was oh, a pocket knife. His okay. uh, son was like... they mentioned, He mentioned that he does a trick with the knife. And that it's like... That's right. That's it's right. that he always, like, will have it out and then, like, pull it back. So it looks like he's going to be cutting himself, but he doesn't. And he shows it to <laughs> the family mediator. And he's just like, oh, I... Uh, yeah, and then he passes out. Yeah. Yeah, well, and that's a moment of, of obviously, I mean you have a person, you know, falling down and passing out. Like that's, it's almost a pratfall and it, and it, it's so absurd that you laugh. That moment, I think probably doesn't work for some people too, but it worked for me because it, it was so hyper-specific. It felt like something that had to have happened in real life to Noah Baumbach or somebody he knew. Like it, and it, and of course, like when, when you want to be on your best behavior, when you want to put forth your best self, that's when you fail the hardest. Right. right? And he's, He's overthinking himself. And and there is kind of an irony there because he's this exacting director. And he's all, you know, he's like, oh, you have to do this. I'm giving you all these notes. And he's just flailing at a role that he should be good at, which is a, this kid's dad. And he just, he he's overacting and overperforming mm-hmm. and it just fails for him. So there's comedy in that, I think. Right, yeah. And again, it's not, I'm not saying that there's not comedy here. It's just that I because some of the comedy is so big and because some of the comedy maybe doesn't work for me, then it sort of detracts from some of the dramatic points. And then also some of the dramatic points are a little, you know, heavy handed, be it the, you know, I mentioned the crying and then like can't cry Mm. on stage. And then I cry right here or things like when the gate is closing and it's like, Oh, there's a wall coming up between the two of them. And it's just like, Okay, I mean, I get it, but also like, I, I I get it. Well, in terms of the dramatic, the dramatic moments, obviously we talked about the the now famous two hander scene where the apartment punch scene. <laughs> yes, everything finally boils over. That's like the centerpiece of this movie, and it was it was memed a bunch, and I think to this movie's detriment. So I yeah, that's, that, I wanted to kind of get to that point because yeah. there's a element where the memes to this movie have become funnier than anything that's actually in this movie. <laughs> well, yeah, and they're, but they're funny in a way that has nothing to do with the, like they're, it's completely decontextualized from what the movie is even about or what that scene is about, you know? It's just, those images are like disassociative. Yes, but I, I also do feel like there's something to be said that when your most dramatic like key scene is super looks super comedic when you remove the context it's sure. not like the best thing like i mean like a star is born 
had like the meme with like the window mm-hmm. rolling down and like I want another look at you. But also that's not like the key dramatic linchpin scene in the movie. Well, there's also the the famous bunker scene from the the Hitler drama Downfall, which has right. been memed a million times. And that is a movie that still I mean, if you watch it now, you can't separate your knowledge of that meme from the movie, but the movie is still powerful. I also think that the fact that it got mean so many people saw those memes or saw that because so this is one of the things I remember from that viral kind of thing that I was talking right. about earlier was somebody took the scene, the fight scene or like a two minute section of the fight scene and put it on Twitter and said something like, this is supposed to be good acting. This is terrible. And it was like, is this what movie criticism is now is we take something completely out of context and then put it in a two minute frame and put it up on Twitter. So people can be like, yeah, this is stupid. And And I kept seeing all of the takes about Marriage Story stemming from that scene, which it it makes sense. It's the centerpiece of the film, as I said. But I saw a lot of people saying that when he punches the wall, that the movie was, you know, somehow glorifying physical violence in in personal altercations, that that the memes were were proof that the movie wasn't taking their emotions seriously, that it was a misogynistic film, which you you could you know argue that convincingly i think but based on and, and a lot of people that were making comments about the acting hadn't seen the movie and it was it really infuriated me that it was like this is the this is like the worst of critical discourse is when we take something completely out of context we turn it into a meme or a viral comedy thing and then the original meaning of the thing is completely lost because this takes precedence and so even though i've seen some really funny memes from the scene I kind of feel like it's a shame that it got memed that way because the I don't think that people, I mean, it's possible people will still watch it having seen the memes and find it a powerful piece of acting. But yeah, robbing something of its context just to get, you know, retweets on Twitter is incredibly stupid and I wish people would stop doing it. Right. The scene doesn't totally work for me, but I also, that okay. was before the memes, but I, I grant that point. I would also say just because it, is tangential. There was I actually I fell into the trap of one of those recently. There was a somebody put up a two minute clip of like the newsroom and like one of its like most mm. dramatic scenes or whatever. Is it the one where they're on the plane? No, it's one where oh. it's one where like they're trying to scramble to see if like Gabby Giffords was like dead or not after she oh, had gotten uh-huh. shot. And it is right. I I am very much on board with your point of like, don't remove things from contextualization. But yeah, if you watch that clip, I will find it and send it to you and I'll post it on like the <laughs> everyone is wrong Twitter. But it's sure so like, I don't know how I could not contextualize this as like not horrifically yeah. bad. There are a lot of those within the Aaron Sorkin oeuvre, if you will, right. um, uh, because because he is so serious and. And that's the thing is like this scene in particular in Marriage Story is the most serious in the film. And it's a shame that, that I mean, people are missing, like you said, I mean, even if you don't like it, there's so much comedy in this movie. So maybe that's why it was memed is because, well, it does have comic elements in it, but they memed the scene, the scene that's like the most serious in the entire movie. Right. And it, it kind of cheapens it a little bit, but I think the scene still works within the context of the movie and the also the way that it's filmed, the way that it's edited, I, I think 
the the cinematography and the editing of this movie I don't think get enough credit because it's not showy or flashy but I think the way that that scene is shot is is really impressive and really brings you into the intensifying emotions of that and also the fact that throughout that argument you're going back and forth about who you think is in the moral right within this particular argument because she says something and you're like well she's got a point and then he says something and you go I think he's got a point. And I feel like the whole movie, I know people don't will, don't agree with this, but I think the movie is pretty even-handed about the right and wrong of these characters. I don't think there's a villain of the piece in terms of Scarlett Johansson versus Adam Driver. I know it's more it's leans more towards Adam Driver because that was Bombach's right. experience, but I don't think Scarlett Johansson comes across as, as the villain in this movie at all. I know some people thought that, but the villain of the of the movie is the legal system that right. has led to all of this essentially and maybe even the lawyers that you talked about uh yeah were kind of the vultures of this i do think that at the start of the movie it seems very tilted towards adam driver's character and scarlet's yeah for sure. character seems a little like irrational and uh flimsy and just you know all over the place but then it makes adam driver's character look worse as it goes along in Again, it's partially like the thing with the high peak emotions where it's like a little bit, it's much less like direct. It's not somebody throwing a hysterical fit. It's somebody being like, you know, kind of ignoring their kid a little bit and things like that where you're like, okay, maybe this guy isn't the hero. I guess I'll I'll seed that into my third point, which is sort of, the thing that rubs me a little bit wrong, and I'm just going to define it as the bombach of it all. There's multiple levels on which it's slightly disappointing for me from Noah Bombach's perspective. In part, I should say Francis Ha is maybe one of my five favorite films, and I think pretty much all of his other films are at least good, if not something that I'm rushing out to tell people it feels like this is kind of one of those situations a little bit like the departed where it's just like this guy is getting his flowers for not his best movie. Sure. So I haven't seen everything. I haven't seen like Mr. Jealousy, for example, but I've never seen that either. I don't think he wants you to see that. (laughs) Right. But of the things I've seen, this is either my least favorite or second least favorite Noah Baumbach movie, depending on how I'm feeling about Mistress America on any given day. So, you know, it's always that disappointing thing where, for me personally, where the most lauded is not your favorite of a thing. It's like a band whose biggest hit is like your least favorite song. But, you know, if you're talking about somebody talking to somebody about the band, you're going to have to, like, talk about that song. Or if you go to their show, they're going to play it every single time to, like, end the set. Like like if you're talking to somebody about Weezer and they're like, oh, the Beverly Hills guys. Yeah, I know them. Yeah. You're like, oh, dang. (laughs) And also, it's just like there's there's the element where I don't think this is Noah Baumbach's best divorce movie. Even I like the Squid and the Whale more. Which for those sure. who haven't seen it, the Squid and the Whale is essentially a divorce movie, but it's from the kid's perspective. It's from like the teenager right. and the uh, his little brother's perspective, as opposed to and like the divorce happening around them, as opposed to this movie is right. very much a movie about the parents and sometimes it's one of the things that I think the movie might not do well enough is like have any perspective from the child. I would agree with that. Yeah. But I think the element that rubs me the weirdest about 
the bombback of it all is just sort of the real life parallels and okay. it's kind of a weird thing to say because you know it's something that i don't feel will ever be like substantiated or anything like that but it almost feels like this is a movie where noah bombach is telling his relationship with jennifer jason lee and like kind of their narrative but recasting greta gerwig a character that's more like his current partner but in the role of the divorce yeah. divorce that he's had right so it just feels this it's like this mixing of two people that he's been with that just i don't know there's something about it that just makes me a little bit uncomfortable and i know that's a very that's maybe not a fair criticism to the movie itself because if you don't have the background context it might not feel as uncomfortable to you but it just sort well, of but you do you do have the background context right. i think in that sense it is fair criticism um it, it's sort of like if you see you know uh if you've never seen the original film that a movie is a remake of right then you're going to judge it differently than if you've seen the, the original it's sort of like that um yeah i i wonder about the jennifer jason lee thing too because my initial feeling about that is because I, you know, I, I heard similar things when it came out, people sort of feeling bad on behalf of Jennifer Jason Lee without knowing what her perspective at all was. And anytime that happens, I feel a little, like I understand why people want to be defensive towards her because she's not the one making an Oscar nominated, you know, movie about her own divorce. And so right. the, the power imbalance is there, but it also kind of robs Jennifer Jason Lee of her agency a little bit. It's suggesting that like, oh, she had no idea this was going on and she got hoodwinked into this movie being made about her. And Noah Baumbach has said on multiple occasions, again, this is just from, from you know, his perspective. Right. He said that Jennifer Jason Lee was aware of everything that was in the movie, that she had seen the movie, that she, he said that she liked it. Again, we have to go on <laughs> right. his word. But, and, and at first I thought, well, he could be lying. But I feel like if he was lying, if Jennifer Jason Lee hadn't seen the movie or saw it was like, you know, I don't think so. Like this sucks. I think we would have heard from her. I don't think she would have sat silently. Right. If he was I don't online. think. Yeah. I don't think. I I totally agree with that. It's just we need to give her a little more credit with with all of this going down. I think. But but I do understand what you're saying because it. I never thought about the the Greta Gerwig angle that that it's about a director breaking up with his actress wife, but instead of it being you know, a character like Jennifer Jason Lee, she's she's sort of this like, you know, uh, carpe diem indie yeah. favorite like Greta Gerwig is. Yeah. And again, this is maybe just me from being familiar with the Greta Gerwig roles and things like, you know, or a thing yeah. like Frances Ha, where it just feels like Scarlett's character is sort of more in a Greta Gerwig mold than a Jennifer Jason Lee mold where she's sure. And she's an up and coming actor too, as opposed to someone that's been in the business for a really long time. Right. And when Noah's writing this, he's, you know, he would have been in a relationship with Greta for a lot longer. So it's almost like writing the person, you know, a little bit as opposed to the person you remember. Yeah. Well, and I think they had a, they had a pretty bad breakup too, because I think he, he was like, I think he started seeing Greta Gerwig when he was still with Jennifer Jason Lee. Like, and now we're getting into like, uh, gossipy stuff because they're both in his movie Greenberg and Jennifer Jason Lee wrote that movie with Noah Baumbach when they were still a couple and 
Greta Gerwig just happens to be in that movie. Right. And then he went on to write Francis Hall with Greta Gerwig. And... All these movies for Greta Gerwig. Right. Which, right. and also just as a little aside, I agree with you that Francis Ha is his, is his best movie. And that's the one that should have gotten the, the Oscar. Yes, I was. I, agree. I very much love that movie. And, but also I do feel as we move past that movie, I feel more and more like it's a Greta Gerwig movie and less like, a Noah Baumbach movie because it feels like a real collaboration. It in, does. In right. But it feels closer to Francis Ha feels closer to me to the movies that Greta Gerwig has made now that she's become Agreed. a established director than it does to Agreed. the movies Noah Baumbach has made since Francis Ha. 100%. Yeah. So I tend to go that way, but yeah. And you know, again with that, I do feel like there's a slight imbalance with Noah Baumbach being the person writing kind of his own divorce story where it's yeah. easy, even if it's not, it's easy to see why people would think it's imbalanced. Even if I don't think it's super imbalanced because Charlie is basically distant and has a kind of detached affair and doesn't connect with his son that well, but those are all kind of like subtle faults as opposed to, Nicole is at times made to be like selfish and he introduces her in like a bitter moment where she has this list of things that they really like. And Charlie's like, yeah, I'll read mine. And Nicole's like, I don't want to read mine. This is stupid. Why are you guys like sucking each other off? (laughs) And yeah. And she's also the one who brings in the lawyer lawyers and she's all like the way she contextualizes thing when she's doing like lawyer's therapy is like, I, I felt like, so it, it's kind of like a weakness. Like I felt like I was just like letting him steamroll over me and taking what he was giving, but still she keeps all throughout the movie. She keeps praising how like talented he is, even when they're like fighting. <laughs> so that just yeah. feels like a little bit like, no, you didn't need to keep having her say that like the director sure, is so sure. good. Well, what I was going to say is that, um, I think the movie does kind of start out that way. And yet I, at at least my perception of it was, is that by the end of it, or at least by the midway point, I understood why she had gotten lawyers involved because when something like this happens, you kind of do have to get lawyers involved. And the point of the movie isn't that she never should have gotten lawyers involved. I don't think that's what, what the message of marriage story is. I think the message is ultimately, like I said before, is that, when lawyers get involved, the system is set up in such a way that it's going to completely screw over somebody, even if they don't deserve it. And I think she comes to realize that as it goes on, but it's like, but what else? She's sort of damned if she does and damned if she doesn't. And I think that there are moments where she comes across as the villain because Charlie thinks that she is. And of course he's going to think that way. But I think the more that you get from her perspective of the movie, and you could argue there's not enough of that, I think you you come to understand that she isn't a villain at all. And when you compare this to the other most famous divorce movie, which is a custody movie, which is Kramer versus Kramer. I mean, that is a much more and which I happen to really like, but that is a much more one sided depiction of, of divorce and custody because Meryl Streep, who's the 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 wife and mother in the situation is she goes missing for most of the movie. And so the whole thing is like, wow, what a great father Dustin Hoffman turned out to be. And what a terrible mother she just disappeared and i think by the end of it you also do that same at least i do when i see that movie i do the same switcheroo where i go i understand why she left 
So I, I don't think it's quite as imbalanced as some people claim that it is, but I understand why they would say that. And maybe she does need more seat. That also could be why you don't respond to her performance as much because she probably does have less, if you were to add it up, less screen time than yeah. uh, Adam Kirk. Possibly. I mean, yeah, it, it can be boiled down. Like if you're doing a really not like a half paid attention watch of it, it would be very easy to be like, oh, there's a dramatic woman and a mostly composed man. And yep. Who has one outburst where he punches a wall and that's like kind of it. But for the most part, he's a CB and look how cute Adam Driver is while he does it. I think that's how a lot of people saw this movie. Yeah. And I don't think that's, I don't think that's fair. I don't think that's fair, but just the, there's some parts of the real life parallels that just feel a little icky to me. I, I get it. Well, and there are so many filmmakers and New York intellectual filmmakers who have made entire careers out of mining their own personal lives for for dramatic content and either you and, and the more you know about their personal lives either the richer the the films become or the more problematic the films become and i guess it just kind of depends on on what side you come down on i do wish because i actually googled this i went to see if jennifer jason lee had ever spoken publicly about this movie and i couldn't find anything Unless there was, you know, some interview she did that just isn't, you know, easily Googleable, but it doesn't seem like she has spoken about it. But Bombot claims she she <laughs> like likes it is what he said. So yeah, but I mean, that's I mean, there's there's absolutely no <laughs> chance that if she was like "fuck you," this is trash, that he would be like, "oh yeah, she hated the movie." He would just like want to bring it right. up. He probably wouldn't say anything at all. Yes, exactly. I agree with you. And I think that, and again, if he was lying about it, she wouldn't just let him lie about it. I, I don't believe that would happen. I right. think she would be like, wait, 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 wait. But so, I yeah. could also, uh, it, I could also see her being like watching it and being like, well, it's well made. I don't enjoy any of this. <laughs> like, and I'm not, well, and I, I know, and I know it's going to be like theater. up for all the, these awards. So I'm, yeah. You know, I'm just going to be like, if I just say that I like it, he'll leave me alone. <laughs> we won't have to, like, talk about it. Well, and at least at least this movie didn't come out, like, the same year that she was on the award circuit for The Hateful Oof. Eight. Yeah, that would have been. Like, that would have been. Really, it, it's like that year that Catherine Bigelow and uh, James Cameron were competing <laughs> for Best Director. Like, that, it, there was just that added element of, like, oh, man, what what's happening behind the scenes there? So at least she dodged that bullet. Yeah, so I'll get into my fourth point, which is maybe a sort of pedantic one, but it's one that I will make regardless. And that is just calling the movie Marriage Story is a <laughs> lot for me. Just the title. Okay. It might seem like picking nits, but, you know. A little bit, a little bit, a little bit. Because naming yourself something so generic and direct is kind of asking for the audience to imbue it with a sort of sense of universality that I don't think it kind of has. And, you know, I guess first off, the fact that it's called marriage story instead of divorce story is like, is like four degrees too twee cute for me. Like, get it? It's a (laughs) marriage story, but like, this is what marriage really is. It's about breaking up. But yeah, it just, the, the title is burdening itself sort of, and that's kind of crazy because while it is, you know, it does walk you through the steps of a marriage falling apart, it is so hyper specific 
to Bombbox experiences in so many ways that it doesn't have that sort of universality that I feel like you need if you're going to call your movie Marriage Story. It's like a bi-coastal divorce between two artists' parents. One is literally directing the other. There's the niche theater world. The Scarlet's dad is uh, was a gay man who married his mother and mm-hmm. before passing away. There's high-priced lawyers. There's MacArthur Genius Grants. There's breaking into musicals. This all sounds totally relatable to me. I don't know and what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, it's just, I don't know. It's just the the specificness of it. And with that, it's just, I don't know. It's it's a, again, maybe like a just a cuteness kind of like being like nudge, nudge. It's marriage story. It's this thing. And it just, the specificness of it with that title is just a lot for me. That's fair enough. I don't have much to add to that because I can't think of a better title. Not that marriage story is a good title necessarily, because mm. I think all of the things you brought up are are perfectly valid. But I, I I'm just not good at coming up with with better titles than that. But um, yeah, and I, I think that I think that kind of makes sense. And I think a lot of people did sort of kind of push back on on the movie a little bit because it is sort of like what problems you know like you all still have roofs over your head and you all like you you got a genius grant of course by the end of the movie he spent like i i think the movie again getting back to what i was saying about the the legal system i do think there is something of a universality in the sense that anybody that gets involved in the legal system will lose a lot of money and it doesn't matter if you have a lot of money going in or very little money going in, you will lose most of it. And the fact that this guy has basically a fortune thrust upon him at the beginning of this, he is not destitute by the end, but he's lost a lot of money on something that ends up being totally like he just loses. It's, you know, he's basically throwing money in the trash. Right. They get to the point at the end where it's like, they basically are where they started except. Yeah. Yeah. And and he and he has to spend more money on a high priced lawyer because she has a high priced lawyer and it's just like it it's just not a fair fight at any point along the way so i think that i'm i'm maybe grasping a little bit but i think there is kind of a universal truth in that part of things and also just the idea like you know people who don't have a lot of money have to go through custody stuff all the time where you know they might have kids and 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 trying to figure out who's going to take care of the kid and and where the kid's going to live. I mean, I think that I think some people will that aren't in these exact scenarios will see themselves in in those characters maybe minus all of the 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 wealth and and the art, artiste side of things. Right. But then there's also the kind of minor discomfort discomforting parts where they're in like the actual courthouse and you know, they get into like the hallway outside the family court or whatever, and they're sitting very composed. And there's a non-white couple like yelling, and it's mm-hmm. like, oh well, kind of back to the one chrism where it's like sort of this like fairy tale bougie thing where it's just like, well, if you're just composed and like proper people, they're doing it, and then they go into the courthouse and they're yelling back and forth and all this and they get nowhere. And then there's like a slew of people without high price lawyers, just like 
right. waiting in the back, having to listen to this family argue about like MacArthur genius grants and, <laughs> you know, about their infidelities and if they're yeah. drinking too I mean, much. I, I saw the movie. Oh, and all of that stuff too. The way that the little details of the plot, in the first couple acts come back to haunt them in the courtroom. I thought, I thought that was all brilliantly done, but I kind of saw that as, as, and again, I could be grasping here. I sort of saw that as a commentary in the sense that like, yeah, this is, it's, it's high price theater. They're basically just doing what they did when they were together. They're acting out. It, it it's like this moral thing where, you know, they're, they're fighting over something that ends up being, you know, they're, they just kind of end up back in the same place they were when they started. And, there are people out there with actual problems who don't have the money to do all this high price theater. Like that's kind of what I saw it as, but maybe, I don't know if Bombach intended that or if he really is that, that tone deaf about class issues, which he very well could be. I, it would not surprise me if he was. If you watch his movies, there's not a lot of uh, you might, class yes, distinctions. You might think so. Yes, yes, yes. Very true. In the world of Noah Bombach, like everybody is like a book critic or an artist <laughs> or they like work on the board at a museum like that's everybody's job in in a Noah Baumbach movie but I mean he really did grow up in that world like right his it mother is was, his world I think an art critic you know yeah I don't have a problem with him like writing what he knows it's just sometimes it gets a little sometimes like, what he knows is a little insufferable yeah I yeah agree. <laughs> it's a little pretentious a little insufferable well, a little yeah, insular for sure for sure the I guess this is a good spot before I move on to my last point to also just bring back again, it's marriage story and it's about like this custody battle over the kid, uh, Henry and Henry's given just so little agency in this movie. He's kind of just a prop to be passed back and forth between his parents and really doesn't have like emotions or like he gets frustrated and tired sometimes and is like, you know, but he's more an implement to the two of them than like, yeah. he never really sides with one of them. They like talk about like, well, Henry said that he wants to stay here and things like that. But Henry's never like being, you know, he, sure. he, he there's one scene where he's like, oh, I kind of want to like, I like my friends out here and my friends back in New York. They don't even like me anymore, but like that that's as much. And it's still kind of done with like, a sort of detachment that like mm-hmm. the kids never, he never really has any emotional moments. He's just kind of like speaking out loud and not being affected that much by his parents living on two different coasts other than like, Oh, yeah. why don't you come and see me like more? I don't know. Yeah, no, I agree. And uh, I mean, I think that, that you could make a point of that in the sense that it's, you know, these two people realizing that like, oh, we are kind of using our kid as a prop mm-hmm. or, or as like a bargaining chip, you know, in a way. Um, but, but the movie does it. I, I agree with you. I mean, going back to Kramer versus Kramer, I mean, the kid in that gets in an, an entire arc and and it has these great scenes with us. I mean, that kid was like eight years old, got nominated for an Academy Award for that movie. The kid in this doesn't have any Academy Award <laughs> award worthy scenes. We'll, we'll just say that. But yeah, I agree with you. I mean, that would that would screw a kid up at that age. And he yeah, you're right. He doesn't really seem to have any attitude about it. Not that that character wouldn't, but because the movie doesn't really give him an attitude. Right. It, ju- it just seems in a movie about divorce, having the kid just kind of be cool with it is just passive. Yeah. Yeah. Passive is sort of a weird 
look. And again, maybe that goes back to like Bombach, you know, writing into the script that he's like worst characteristics is that he's like kind of detached from his kid. So he's mm-hmm. like, maybe when he was going through the divorce, he like didn't notice his kid being maybe. like troubled by it. Well, and this, I mean, this is a long movie too. It's almost two and a half hours long. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if there were a lot of scenes that, that eventually got cut and maybe there is more with the kid in the original script, but I, I have no idea. Mm-hmm. So then I'll move on to my final point, which is certain to be my most controversial of these is I just really don't like Laura Dern in this movie. I don't think her Uh-oh. performance is good. It better watch out. The, the Dern hives going to come yeah. after you. I just don't understand. Like I like Laura Dern. I just don't understand the love fest for this, like her winning everything where from my perspective i just think her character kind of works the least of almost any of the characters it just feels very soap opera to me in again like it's uh like it's a parody character that doesn't feel human it feels like just like a tool of manipulation like noah bombach writing like oh the like worst female lawyer that I could go up against who's spouting all these things about how fathers are the worst thing when <laughs> they're trying to like interview coach Scarlett for her interview. It's just like, Oh, they're just the worst people. I don't know. It's again, it's sort of, it's almost like a comparative thing. Like I think Laura Dern was better in, little woman or better or even in like the last Jedi in supporting roles because she actually, she doesn't have the like juicy speeches, but she's more relatable as a person. I just don't really take anything she says seriously. It just, again, kind of feels like that slapsticky parody reaching for acting in kind of the worst way to me. And it, does not connect and i i just guess i don't really see what everybody else sees it was interesting reading through even just the positive reviews like most of them like are like yeah laura dern's great in like a sentence and that's like the only time she's mentioned in like an entire review and then it becomes such a like i don't know hive mind group think that she is just sweeping every award category and I know award categories aren't like the end all be all but it just felt very weird to me in the moment that it was just like oh yeah she's like the lock this is obviously Laura Dern's best performance and we should just like mail in the envelope now well I'll start with the with the Oscar stuff or the award stuff first and then get to the, the performance itself but we do see those narratives kind of come out every Oscar season because the Oscars are the last big award that comes out now. And there's so many other awards, critics awards and, and Golden Globes and SAG awards and BAFTAs that come out before. You're right. She won every single thing. And I think the reason was because, first of all, like you said, she ha- she's been having really good years where she's in stuff. Right. And I think people, people are remembering like, oh yeah, Laura Dern's great. She never went anywhere. She's been around for, you know, like going on four decades now. But I think people were kind of like, oh yeah, she's a really reliable performer, regardless of what kind of role you put her in. 
And I think the reason that this one got so much attention was because it's so consolidated. It's, you know, she's on screen for probably 10 to 12 minutes. And all of those moments are big speechy moments, as you said. Right. And sometimes when a performance can be distilled down into one or two scenes, those performers win awards. I'm thinking of a lot of the performances. And in fact, there was actually, speaking of Twitter, there was a kind of a prompt going around that I really liked that was, who's a character that's in a movie for 15 minutes or, or less and right. makes an impact. And when you start thinking about those performances, a lot of them are Oscar nominated or Oscar winning performances because it's so easy to see the the fireworks of that performance in one scene or two scenes. Right. And so I think that's probably why she got it. And also those narratives just kind of develop out of both word of mouth, out of really good Oscar campaigning on behalf of, of studios or managers or whoever. Yeah. And so it just all, it was just time for Laura Dern to win an Oscar. I guess. She'd been nominated, you know, a couple times before. And it was this big showy performance in a movie that, that everybody seemed to like. So I think that's why I, I remember because we together, we wrote an article that year about the Oscars. Right. And I think for that, I was going for Florence Pugh. We both we both went Florence Pugh. So I think that's something okay. worth noting is that kind of it was a I would say in terms of what actually got nominated, at least it was a weaker year for the supporting category. It was Florence yeah. Pugh in Little Woman, Margot Robbie in Bombshell, Scarlett Johansson <sighs> in Jojo Rabbit. Kathy Bates and Richard Jewell, and then okay. Laura Dern won it for Marriage Story. Well, and also, Francis Pugh has the, you would think would have the advantage in that category because of all those actors she's on screen the most. She's almost a co-lead in that movie, right. whereas the rest of them have actual, well, and even Margot Robbie, I don't think she's a supporting character in that movie either. She's one of the three leads. But yeah, sometimes that doesn't work to your advantage, where if you have one really buzzy scene, the Academy notices. And I think that's what happened this year. As for the performance itself... Quickly before we get into oh, that, I wanted to do a little bit yeah. more on the Oscar talk. And then yeah, you yeah. can launch into the as performance itself. I'll talk about the Oscars as long as you want. Yeah. And I would say that year, the two performances that really weren't even nominated and got a little bit of award nominations as it went along, but didn't land was actually Margot Robbie, I think was a lot better in once upon a time in Hollywood, but that Agreed. was a much subtler performance. But yes, I think agreed. she's kind of the heart of that movie. And if she, I think she's if you don't care movie. about her and like enjoying watching her, watch her own movie and things like that, if those don't work, the so, yeah. dread you feel near the end of the movie doesn't like have the same weight. But Correct. again, it was just a, and that was a performance that was like, in some ways, like trying to be like pre canceled ahead of time where it's like, she only has this many lines in the movie. And then people uh, are like, why aren't you that giving was another, her? Oh my God. Why so aren't you giving stupid. her enough lines? And you're like, you watch the movie. You're like, no, she's got a great role in this movie. Oh, Don't God. That be was another one of those. Yeah, you're right. Totally out of context. Like, do you go around counting people's lines? Like, who does? Yeah, anyway, that was stupid. Yeah. I forgot about that. And then the one that really bummed me out that didn't even get nominated was Zhao Shuzhen in The Farewell, who's the grandma oh, in The Farewell. Yes. And great pick. that movie doesn't, 
that movie does not work if she is not super entertaining and you don't like fall in love with her and you're not yeah. dreading her being sick. But it is still a supporting role because clearly like Aquafina is the lead in that movie. So it's a supporting role, but it's a essential supporting role. And it's as much of a supporting role as speaking of grandmothers as Yu Jung Yoon, who just won the Best Supporting Actress Oscar for Minari. I mean, a similar kind of role and probably on screen as much as the grandmother in the, in the farewell. Maybe maybe a little bit less, but yeah. it's almost like the Academy made up for not even nominating her. For yeah, I think I think the other grandmother character. Yeah, I time. think Zhao is better than the grandma and Minari. I, I, I like both very different characters. Oh yeah. They're, they're uh, both. I like, I, I like both. Of, I, again, I had no problem with, uh, Minari winning that one, but I just even prefer the farewell and that to even get nominated. Yeah, no, it got, it got totally shut out. And honestly, if, if, uh, Yuzhen, sorry, is Shuzhen Zhao, uh, yeah. is that, did I pronounce it? I probably yeah. butchered that. I apologize, but we, we're, if, we're trying but our if best. She, if she had been nominated that year in supporting actress, I, I would have definitely been behind her. I mean, it's it. You're right. It's a remarkable performance. But um, I mean, part of the Oscar things that I always look at when I'm breaking this down, and I know we're getting very into the weeds of this, is sort of the like the degree of difficulty and like how many other people could have pulled off this role, and sure. like Laura Dern. Most people think she pulls this off great, but also I don't feel like Laura Dern is doing something revolutionary and adding nuanced touches that like other actors couldn't have done if they were cast in the role. But that's again, yeah, maybe. Go ahead and uh, break down your your opinion of the performance. That well, yeah, what I was going to say is that all of the all of the criticisms that you lobbed at the performance are the exact reasons I like the performance so much is because it is this, I mean, she kind of comes in, she's this like Tasmanian devil of a character, just kind of destroys everything around her. And Scarlett Johansson's character just kind of has to sit there. And I, I mean, she almost is like rendered speechless by this woman. And what I like so much about Laura Dern's performance is that it, it, you're right. It is mannered and it does feel pre-prepared and it does feel I mean, like a performance. And that's because this person is giving a performance. Think about how many times she's probably given this exact same speech. And she's trying so hard to convince her new client that like, I'm this feminist and I'm gonna fight for you. And it's all bullshit in a lot of ways because she's just, I mean, she's doing it for the money. She's the most high powered divorce attorney in town. And she is, as a divorce attorney, she is an actor in a lot of ways. And the way that she, I, and I think you see it in that, that scene that we mentioned earlier where they're ordering lunch and the veil kind of falls a little bit and you see that, you know, she she's not at that mode the entire time. And even the way that she she's offering all of these specific foods and drinks to Scarlett Johansson as she's sitting in the office feel like, you know, kind of, it's almost like she's been sponsored to, to give these. Right. <laughs> these it's, it's all, it's a, it's the script within the script sort of thing. And yeah, I think that's, yeah, I think that's what a lot of people respond to. And I, I don't, and that's, I, I think that's just going to be like the basic, like it rings untrue to me in a way that I know it's supposed to be untrue, but it's still, right. <laughs> it's still not, working on the false untrueness for me 
but it, I, I, un- I understand, I guess I can understand why people like it. I just don't buy it. And I would also say it's kind of weird that I didn't see this criticism a lot with the, in terms of the Scarlett Johansson, like being the weaker character, but basically she just subs one director for another director. Cause she basically is being, her life is being directed by Adam driver's character. And then oh, she's yeah. like, Oh no, like I need to break off and be like my own, like feminist woman stuff. And then essentially Laura Dern just takes over that role Starts and directs controlling. her and I, controlling I her. And sure. that's not really a criticism, but it's just like, it's, it's a thing that isn't brought up when they're talking about like the potential weakness of Scarlett Johansson's character is that she always is yeah. being led and doesn't like totally sure. realize it until the very end where they're like, Oh, we agreed on the right. divorce and like, but I'm getting you like one extra day because then you can say that you won. And Scarlett's like, wait, I didn't like totally. She like realizes at like the last possible moment that she's just kind of been being used the whole time well and she at, at and then one of the the moments that you realize that, that that some kind of transformative thing has happened is that she's now going to be directing her own thing at the end you find that out so it's like she's taking control or actually you don't even you, you find that early they mentioned that like when they're doing the scene where it's the screen test that like she wanted to direct and stuff like that and then the next moment you realize Again, this is sort of the bombachness of it all, is that Adam Driver's character comes over and her new boyfriend is there and you'd be like, Did you hear that she won an Emmy? And he's like, Oh, that's great. And it's like for directing. <laughs> what a twist. The moment you realize that she's actually started directing is the moment that she's like won an Emmy for directing or uh-huh. something like that. And also it's like it's like mentioned like it's just one of those weird things where it's like mentioned like during or no, she's I think it's because she's nominated. That's fair because it's like she was nominated for it because it wouldn't right. make sense that she won it because there'd be a ceremony. But it was like, oh, yeah, she right. got nominated for best directing. And it's kind of just like, well, uh, like like Greta Gerwig did. Yeah. And uh, also think about the fact that, that this this and Little Women were up the same year for for Oscars too. So right. So were, it was the you know. partner dynamic, but yeah, again, again, yeah, that kind of goes yeah. to, that kind of goes to my, a little bit to my point of it, the weird real lifeness of it, where it's just like, sure. I think it's kind of Greta in the Jennifer Jason Lee role. Cause she's started to take I can see that. more of the Greta thing well, where she's directing and being nominated. And I can see that. I can see that. I also saw criticisms of Laura Dern's performance or her, her function within the story is the idea that, um, and and kind of tied with uh, tied in with the the themes that a lot of critics saw well not a lot i think it was kind of a, a small group of critics saw as you know bomb box uh inherent misogyny or whatever uh you want to call it that that laura dern is is seen as the most craven of the lawyers you have two men and laura dern and i kind of reject that in a way because i think ray liotta is just as bad and is is actually even worse because he doesn't even take the time to learn his clients' names. Right, I mean, he's he's, he's a even more like he's even more of a cash grabber. At least Laura Dern's character has the you know the wherewithal to like take her time and make her clients feel like she actually cares about them, even though she 
probably doesn't. She's she knows that you know that's how she gets the money. And then Alan Alda, who, like you said, is just kind of this you know this this limp fish of a guy. Like I I don't think that the I think you do have to kind of stretch a little bit to get to that. But I did see people making you know those those comments. Yeah, I don't I, I don't I don't think I that's totally fair. But I do think you know again a lot of this a lot of my criticisms of this movie are sort of couched in the comparison where it's not that I think this is the worst movie ever made or anything. It's like a two and a half out of five star movie for me or something like that. But it's just, it's held up in this glowing light. And similarly, like Laura Dern's performance got all this nominations and things like that. But I liked Alan Alda's performance better just because I feel like there's a lot more, again, like sort of like nuance to it. It feels more, there's more of a human there than again, it's it's all, it's all put on. It's all put on intentionally by Laura Dern's character, but it just, yeah, just the fact that it would be like, this gets everything and Aladalda's gets nothing. Just again, is like a thing that's not fair, not a fair attack on Laura Dern's performance per se. It's just like, strikes me as odd well yeah and uh, going back and and reading my review that that i wrote in 2019 which you quoted at the beginning i was really effusive in my praise i think i even compared this to scenes from a marriage the the great ingmar bergman film and i read that earlier today and i thought i don't know if i would go that far now because scenes from a marriage is like one of the greatest movies ever made and this is is not one of the greatest movies ever made and as we both said it we neither of us think it's even the best film that noah bombach has made but i will say that after this conversation like talking about it i think my my opinion of it is still very hot there's so much in this movie that i think works so well and shouldn't and maybe doesn't uh clearly doesn't for you right um but i think it's i i think that at the very least the fact that he is making a movie about uh themes and plot points that we've seen a million times not just in prestige hollywood films but in any kind of made for tv you know custody battle drama uh but and he's doing it in a way that i think is to me is fresh and inventive and a lot more risky than it seems. I think he's pulling off a lot of things effortlessly, and it doesn't seem like he's pulling off a bunch of big tricks because he is kind of a modest filmmaker. I mean, sometimes he he makes a, a stylish film like a Francis Ha or an arch film like Mistress America. This does this this seems very unshowy. It feels kind of plain. I mean, even even the way that he shoots. Adam Driver's apartment, which, by the way, is like the most L.A. apartment, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. they get it just right. It's like, yes, the you know, the the vertical blinds and and the the one, you know, the one plant by the, the <laughs> by the uh, the couch, like it's just so right. But even the way that, you know, that he he films that I think is is really artfully done, but in a kind of, you know, minor key sort of way. So I, I, I think this movie deserves as much credit as it got at the time. I kind of came in here thinking I overrated it, but I'm maybe thinking that I rated it correctly. My goal is not to have you not like the movie anymore. My goal is just to- Well, it didn't work even if it was. (laughs) My goal is just to have a sounding board for somebody who has the opposite opinion of me. And I, you know, again, in the same way, I kind of hear what you're saying. And 
a lot of the things just don't work for me. It's just doesn't land. And that's, but see, to me, that's like the key, even though, as you said, this was a universally lauded movie for the most part, I think that is kind of the key to why this, this is kind of a, a uh, an important achievement for, for him as a director, because, you know, it is making these kind of wild swings in tone and either you go with them or you don't. And you know, very rarely do you see a great movie that isn't going for a wild swing at something. Mm-hmm. And for a director who's like really going like, I'm just going to try this, this, and it might not work. And the fact that it does work seemingly for most people, I, I don't know. Of course, those are just the people that have logged their opinions online. There could be even more people out there that never finish this on Netflix, which is probably, which <laughs> probably, is probably the, the reality. Case. Yeah, that's probably the case. But like the fact that he's making these big swings in terms of like, I'm going to do this kind of farcical stuff and then give you this really intense emotional scene between two people. I think it's it's a gutsier movie than it even appears, uh, you know, as you're watching it for a second or a third time. So I, I admire it for that. All right. Is there anything else you kind of want to get off your chest about this movie in sort of our drunk drawer segment? Any other spare thoughts hmm. or things like that? I, I don't know, maybe just uh, if this is the movie that introduced people to, to Noah Baumbach, if they weren't familiar with him before, he does have a lot of really good movies that we have already mentioned. Uh, Francis Ha is a, a high point. That's a movie for me, by the way, that I went in dreading because it was like, it was around the time that like Lena Dunham was becoming popular and it was right after like that mumblecore movement and it had this movie had Adam Driver and the and uh, Christopher Abbott was in it and Greta Gerwig who's like the poster child for mumblecore and I hated those mumblecore movies it was shot in black and white and it was about this flibberty gibbet young woman living in New York and she just can't get her life together and I was like uh just like I I don't <laughs> think so and I went to the theater to see it and I loved it so much. Like I've rarely have I loved a movie that I was dreading so much than Francis Ha. It is so great. And The Squid and the Whale, which incidentally is the very first R-rated movie I legally bought a ticket for. Oh. I went on my 17th birthday by myself <laughs> to go see The Squid and the Whale, which is what most 17-year-old boys do. They go see uh, the yeah. new Noah Baumbach film. And I loved, I loved that movie then. I haven't revisited it in a long time I, I feel like i should oh and kicking and screaming which is his uh first movie yeah is is really good it's sort of like a wit stillman esque he's still kind of finding him himself as a filmmaker but that's a really strong debut i'm sure there are some things in it that don't hold up but i remember really liking that one all right well thanks for coming on is there anything you would like to plug on the way out either any recommendations or things of your own or whatever i don't think so how about your uh your show you have a show oh yes i do i because i forgot to plug that last time so i probably should this time movies 101 on spokane public radio if you go to spokanepublicradio.org and i think you have to go to like the programs tab and they kind of make it a little difficult to find but if you click around on that you'll see it that's my weekly radio show and we review all kinds of stuff i'm sure if you go back far enough you can find our original show on marriage story i don't know if the archives go far enough back for our francis ha review but that's out there floating around in the 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 ether, ether somewhere yeah yeah awesome well yeah i would just uh personally since i guess this is my episode i can plug just go watch francis ha at least if you haven't watched it yes. it's one of my favorites top five movie for me 
Love it. I didn't realize you liked it that much, but yeah. um, I, uh, it's not top five for me, but it, no, it's, it, it's a kind of a, it's a big stretch to say it's top five. So I, I'm, I'm not uh, expecting it to be. No, most but it's a great choice. It's a, it's a great choice. It was definitely in my top five of, of that year. So it's, and I just looked it up. It's streaming on the Criterion channel. If you have that. So yeah. Go I, watch it. Or I have the Criterion uh, Blu-ray. So so do I. <laughs> yeah, we are we are elite uh, film people. <laughs> we, we could be the protagonist of a Noah Baumbach movie with we, elitism we, like that. We, are, we would absolutely not be. As I'm podcasting from a basement in Montana, I don't think I'm going to I be. I was going to say, we'd be like, like if we were in a Noah Baumbach movie, we'd be like the two poor writers at the table next to the Noah, the annoying Noah Bombot characters being like, Oh, those people just shut up about Proust already. Yeah. We, we we're some, we're people who just spent an hour and a half talking about a Noah Bombach movie, but we would be the yokels in a Noah Bombach movie. 100%. <laughs> 100%. So from uh, one yokel to another, uh, thanks for coming on, Nathan. <laughs> and thanks for having me. And remember, even if everyone mocks it, Love the stuff you love.